All right, let's do it. Three, two, one. Oh, my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today's very late on March. Oh, my gosh. 23rd. It's Monday. Ah, I don't even know. it. Something's happening. Uh, it's funny. The longer... <laughs> The show was supposed to record this morning. News broke. I worked on some news, thought about some stuff, and I got creative and ended up coming up with, like, I just doubled the size of the show, basically. I, you know, I kept adding topics as the day went on. I was like, oh, we should talk about this, and oh, we should talk about this. And so I'm really happy to share that we have a massive episode. Uh, it's full of really good stuff to talk about. I want to start with this. It's not really a segment because it's a little bit mean-spirited, but I have to mention it because it was news that came out. Uh, the Rams came out with a new logo. I don't know. I'm not a fan of the new LA Rams logo. I mean, they are the Los Angeles Rams. (laughs) Los Angeles, an incredibly creative city. And that's the best they could do. I mean, look, I know everybody's on quarantine. but Was was every graphic designer in the city on quarantine? I don't understand. Like, what happened? I'm not going to go into it too much. I just will say... Not a fan. We'll see what the uniforms look like, um, but the new logos for the Rams, I, I did not connect with it. If people love it, great. It wasn't for me, but maybe people love it, and if they love it, I'm happy for them. I want to say, um, after this episode I'm recording right now, there is no timeline for the next episode. I have no idea. Uh, it could be two days from now. It could be four days from now. It could be next week. It won't be next week. I promise it won't take that long. But I have no plan, and I'm doing that intentionally. Look, we have a lot of Ask Zach stuff to talk about. We'll do that at some point. Uh, when enough news stories pile up, we'll do a, a show dedicated to the news stories. Like, for example, at some point, I think Jameis Winston might go somewhere. We should talk about that when it happens. Um, I have a cool interview with a quarterback coach I'm working on. Like, I'm working on making that happen, and, oh, it's going to be awesome. He's a great dude. Uh, I'll just say his name is Sam. No one will know who that is, but Sam is awesome. I'm really working on doing an interview with him. Uh, But after this episode, my main focus is going to be, I want to dive into film analysis for a little bit. Um, So many things have been going on and pulling me in different directions, like NFL free agency and this happened and this happened. And I'm like, dude, I just want to watch film. I just want to know how good is Phillip Rivers? How good is Tom Brady? What's going on? I got a really cool story. There's a college quarterback that I really want to talk about that I haven't been able to talk about yet. And I just am like bursting at the seams. I want to dive into the film. And so... After this episode, if we don't get a new episode immediately, please don't panic. I'm working on stuff, um, but I really want to take the next couple days to dive into film and make you some really quality film analysis content. Because uh, that's, like, I, as much as I want to make stuff you guys care about, I also want to make content I care about. And the content I want to make right now is film analysis. I'm really passionate about that. It's my favorite thing I make. And so after this episode, again, if there's not another episode for a couple days, just please relax. It's okay. More stuff is coming, uh, but I, I really want to dive into the film. That's what I my heart is calling me towards uh, right now. So I woke up today, and guess what happened? Oh boy, I got news that the Panthers have signed quarterback PJ Walker. Oh, guess what? I predicted that over a month ago, February twentieth. I said, "Hey, the stars are going to align. It all makes sense here. We should go to the Panthers." I Love this move so very much. P.J. Walker is a 25-year-old quarterback, and he should be treated like a quarterback 
prospect. A lot of people don't understand how to evaluate P.J. Walker and how to view him as a quarterback. You should treat him like you treat Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert or Tua Tungvaloa. He's not a finished product. He's a guy who needs to sit, learn, and develop. And if he does, he could become an NFL franchise quarterback. He's a prospect, not a finished project. He's a young quarterback. He's got a lot of potential. I I really believe in him. He's very gifted at moving in and out of the pocket. His pocket movement, his awareness at extending plays is phenomenal. He's got a really good arm. He throws a great tight spiral. He's very accurate. He had a problem in the XFL. He played in the XFL. He was the best quarterback in the XFL by a mile. He would have been the league MVP had they had a end of the season, but they didn't. You know, you know the thing going around ended the season too. It caused the season to end early. Um, he had one problem where he would have a lapse in judgment about once a game where he'd throw a ball that should have been intercepted. Uh, it caught up with him in the end of the year against the Seattle Dragons, I guess week, whatever. Like the last game they played, the Seattle Dragons played him really well. They had an interception. Um, again, P.J. Walker's not a finished product, but he's a really good quarterback with a ton of potential. And if you give him time to sit in Carolina behind, what's the guy's name? Oh my gosh, I'm running a blank. His name is Teddy Bridgewater. Thank you. That happened when you talk into a microphone for hours and hours. You just blank on stuff occasionally. Look, I really like Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator in Carolina. I like Teddy Bridgewater. He's a stable quarterback ahead of him. And if you give P.J. Walker time to sit and learn, he could become the future franchise quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. I want to say this. Uh, The Panthers have made a bunch of really interesting moves recently. Uh, You know, the the Panthers wanted a a new quarterback. They brought in Teddy Bridgewater. They gave him a three-year, $20 million deal. Yes, it's a lot of money for you and me, but for a franchise, for a starting quarterback, it's a modest price. Giving Teddy Bridgewater $20 million a year is a very reasonable price for a franchise quarterback. And Teddy Bridgewater will be the week one starter for the Carolina Panthers. But it is very, very possible at some point next year, I believe P.J. Walker is going to get meaningful reps and play for the Carolina Panthers. And I think, again, he could become the franchise quarterback in Carolina. Here's what's interesting. Why I love this. You know, I think the Carolina Panthers brought in a quarterback who could become their guy long term. And what's great about it is they didn't have to use a draft pick to make that happen. They have the seventh overall pick. And now they don't need a quarterback. So they can use that seventh overall pick in the NFL draft to bring in a player that makes their roster better rather than reaching on a quarterback. Like, let's say Tua, Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert are all gone by the time the Carolina Panthers draft. Oh, they don't have to reach for a quarterback. They have a guy they like, Teddy Bridgewater. They have a guy that they might have in the future, P.J. Walker. Now they can either draft a player that makes their team better or what I really think the Carolina Panthers should do They need a lot of talent on their roster. They should trade down. Somebody's going to want to trade up for somebody. Trade down. Go get other players. Get a couple draft picks out of the trade. Trade down in the draft. I think that would make... Because somebody's going to want to move up and try to draft a guy like Jordan Love or Jacob Eason. You never know. Maybe one of the big three quarterbacks is left in the NFL draft. And if I were the Carolina Panthers, I would want to now move down in the NFL draft. Unless they have their heart set on one guy. They're like, this guy is a starter. We love him then draft a guy number seven overall. The Panthers have made four big moves recently at the quarterback position. Of course, you know, they signed P.J. Walker. He's a young quarterback. He's got a bright potential future. I think he could become the franchise quarterback of the Carolina Panthers, but he needs time. But remember this. Here's why, logically, P.J. Walker makes so much sense for the Carolina Panthers. He played college football 
at Temple. Guess who his coach was? Guess who recruited him to Temple? Matt Rule, who's now, Matt Rule, who is now the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. They built a program together. They were bad the first year. By the time the third year came along, they were a good football team. Matt Rule and P.J. Walker built a program together. They've done it before. They've got a good relationship. They've worked together before. But I mentioned that P.J. Walker needs time. He will not be ready to be an NFL starter come week one. He's not ready. He needs time to sit, learn, and develop. Well, the very first move the Carolina Panthers made this offseason was they brought in quarterback Teddy Bridgewater. What they did was stabilize their quarterback room by bringing in Teddy Bridgewater. I loved the move. It's made a ton of sense. you got to remember, Jill Brady is the offensive coordinator of the Carolina Panthers. Last year, he was at LSU as the offensive coordinator. Two years ago, Joe Brady was with the New Orleans Saints. Guess who Joe Brady worked with two years ago? Two years ago, Joe Brady coached Teddy Bridgewater in New Orleans with the Saints. Joe Brady and Teddy Bridgewater know each other. Teddy's not the most physically gifted quarterback of all time, but he's stable and he makes good decisions. I I like the move. Again, they have Teddy Bridgewater to start week one, and maybe down the road they can shift gears and have P.J. Walker be their franchise quarterback. Maybe it's Teddy. We won't know, but I like both options the Carolina Panthers have right now at quarterback. Now, another move the Panthers made was they traded quarterback Kyle Allen to the Washington Redskins. Kyle Allen is not an NFL starting quarterback. He tricked me. He actually had a pretty good game. His first start in the NFL played really well, made some big-time throws. But as the season went on, it became pretty clear. Kyle Allen has some good plays and then long-term has a low ceiling, is not really an NFL starting quarterback. It's kind of like Case Keenum where, oh, Case Keenum will have a good game or two, and long-term he's not the guy you want to commit to. Kyle Allen is very similar. He's a really good backup, though, in the NFL. So the Panthers sent Kyle Allen to the Redskins. This is another move that makes a ton of sense. It's great for Kyle Allen. It's great for the Redskins. I'm actually really happy the Panthers honestly did Kyle Allen a gigantic favor by sending him to Washington. Because when the Panthers fired their head coach, Ron Rivera, he went to the Washington Redskins. His entire staff followed him. So Kyle Allen is going to work with his old coaches in Washington. Good for him. He wasn't a free agent. The way it happened was he got traded there. It's a perfect fit for Kyle Allen. It's a great move by the Panthers. Very kind of them, honestly, to give Ron Rivera a good backup quarterback in Washington. They're familiar with Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen is familiar with their offense. All around a good move. Now, number four, the fourth move that the Carolina Panthers made at quarterback was probably, you know, not probably, it was definitely the most controversial move they made. The Panthers have moved on from quarterback Cam Newton. Teddy Bridgewater is the new starter. Maybe P.J. Walker's the guy down the road. This makes complete sense to me if you think about it. Number one, Cam Newton is not healthy. He's not healthy. He's getting older. He's in his 30s. And when Cam Newton can't run, he's not the same quarterback. As a decision maker without running, Cam Newton is an erratic decision maker. He's not a guy you want just sitting in the pocket all day. He's just not that quarterback. And the reality is the Panthers didn't want him. The Panthers have a new owner. The Panthers have a new head coach. They have no ties and no allegiance to Cam Newton at all. They didn't draft him. He's not the guy they wanted, honestly. They prefer Teddy Bridgewater. They prefer P.J. Walker. People are very, very mad. Well, the Panthers, sorry to say, 
They're moving on. They have a new regime in town, new quarterbacks, new coaches. Everybody's new. And the people who are really, really mad that the Carolina Panthers are walking away from Cam Newton, a guy who's been injured the last two years, who just hasn't put out a good product. The last time Cam Newton was great was 2015. The people who are mad, I think, are more loyal to Cam Newton than they are to the team. And there's nothing wrong with that. But be honest about it. Ask yourself, are you a Cam Newton fan or are you a Carolina Panthers fan? They're not the same thing anymore. Not at all. But I got to say, I love what the Carolina Panthers are doing. I love their coach, Matt Rule. I really like their owner, David Tepper. He seems like a good dude who cares about family values. I like that he brought in that rule. I really like David Tepper. I love the new offensive coordinator, Joe Brady. I love Teddy Bridgewater. I love P.J. Walker. Everything the Panthers are doing right now speaks to me. I just, the more, every time the Panthers make a move, I go, I can't believe it. I still love what they're doing. I love what they're doing even more. I go, what? I just get continually surprised at how much I enjoy Watching the Carolina Panthers make decisions, I'm rooting for them. I love the moves they've made at quarterback, and uh, I want to see the Panthers succeed. I do. I'm not a Panthers fan by any means, but I will say I'm a Matt Rule fan. I really like Matt Rule. I really, I just, I'm not, I don't care about teams. I care about people, and all the people in Carolina right now are people I'm rooting for. I just like them all. They seem like good people. P.J. Walker's great. Teddy's great. The coach, the owner, the offensive coordinator, everybody there is somebody that I'm rooting for, and I don't care if the Panthers succeed but I hope those people succeed. And uh, if they do, I'd be very happy in the future. So let's talk about this. This is another narrative that goes along with PJ Walker. Let's just start it over again. Cause it's really important to say it this way. Quarterback PJ Walker has joined the Carolina Panthers, which means, Oh, he's left the XFL and is joining the NFL. He stepped up and you know, the bad news for the XFL is they have lost the face of their league. The face of their league, P.J. Walker, the league MVP, he's gone. He was the best player, was the best quarterback in the league. And some XFL fans are worried that this is bad for their league. But it's not. It's not at all. P.J. Walker leaving the XFL, going to the NFL, all it does is legitimizes the league. It legitimizes the XFL. There are people that did not pay attention to the XFL. Let me tell you, a lot of people... Did not watch my XFL content. Shame on you. It was great content. I'm very proud of it. But next year, NFL fans are going to pay attention to the XFL, trying to find the good players their team should pick up. People will watch because they want to find, hey, this guy's really talented or that guy's really talented. I'm an Eagles fan. Are the Eagles going to pick that guy up? Or or I'm a a Bears fan. Are the Bears going to pick this guy up? I'm a Seahawks fan. Are the Seahawks going to pick this guy up? NFL fans are going to watch the XFL next year trying to find players their team should pick up. But not only that, you know, by P.J. Walker. P.J. Walker signed in the NFL. Uh, Jordan Ta'amu signed a one-year contract with the Kansas City Chiefs. That's good for him. I honestly think they brought him in to give him experience. I don't know if he's going to make the team or not. They have Chad Henney as a backup in Kansas City. But the Chiefs want to give him a look. They want to develop him. They want to help him. I think the reason why this happened— my guest, Andy Reid, the head coach of the, Carol- the, what am I saying? The Kansas City Chiefs is a football nerd. He saw Jordan Amu play in St. Louis for the Battle Hawks and said, I don't know if this guy's going to make my roster, but I like what Jordan Amu's doing. I want to work with him. Whether he plays or not, I want him in my meeting rooms. I want to be around him. I think Andy Reid, as a quarterback guy, saw Jordan Amu's potential and said, 
whether he makes the team or not, let's bring him in. Let's develop him a little bit. Let's get him in the room. It's good for him as a quarterback, and it's good for the NFL to have young quarterbacks learning. But here's the message that XFL, XFL players have gotten with those two guys signing in the NFL. The XFL is a gateway to the NFL. I have friends. One of my friends, Marcel Fraser, I played football with him in high school, played for the Seattle Dragons. He looked at it as an opportunity. You know what? This is my chance to put great stuff on film and earn my way back into the NFL. Players make more money in the NFL as a backup than they do as a starter in the XFL. An NFL backup makes more money and has better benefits than an XFL starter. But now players can see definitively, oh, we can play in the XFL. We can show what we can do. We can put good stuff on tape and maybe it will earn us a job in the NFL, or at least an opportunity to earn a job. It gets us an interview, an invite into training camp. The XFL now is legitimately a stepping stone into the NFL. And that's not a bad thing. It gives them a corner on the market. It's great. They're the only thing going on in the spring football-wise other than the NFL Combine. I love the XFL. I'm going to watch it. But here's what's interesting. You know, (laughs) some XFL fans are very sad. I I don't blame, like, Houston Roughnecks fans— are upset. They're like, we have this quarterback, P.J. Walker. He's great. Now he's leaving for the NFL. What do we do? If you're an XFL fan, here is what your approach should be. Every year, you're going to have new players on your team. It's kind of like college football. Alabama football fans knew that at some point, our quarterback, Tua, is going to leave. When you're a college football fan, you have the deal. It's understood Our player's not going to be here for 20 years. Our player's not going to be here for five years. Maybe five, but definitely not six. (laughs) And and at least, you know, I guess someone in the comment section is going, well, technically, if you gray shirt and red shirt, you can be there six years with a medical clearance, whatever. My point is this, right? At some point in college, players leave. Guys graduate, they get older, they have to move on to the next phase of their life. It's the same way with the XFL. If you're an XFL fan, P.J. Walker went to the Panthers. Jordan Amu went to the Chiefs. Enjoy him. It's great. It's fun. Enjoy the year and know that if your player does really well at the end of the year, he's going to move on to the NFL because he deserved it and it's a stepping stone to that league. We're going to see even more players sign with the NFL. I think really what's going to happen is the NFL draft is going to happen. Then teams will evaluate, okay, where are our weaknesses? Teams are not scouting the XFL right now. Teams are scouting trying to get ready for the NFL draft. The minute the NFL draft is over, you're going to see a couple XFL guys sign with NFL teams and go, oh, here it is. Yeah, players went from the XFL to the NFL. And the reality is all that does is help the league. It legitimizes it. Again, here's what's going to happen next year. NFL fans are going to watch the XFL. Watching with this in mind, we're trying to find players that our team can pick up. Everybody that watches, not everybody, but the, the XFL fan base is going to grow. Viewership is going to grow next year because some people are going to watch with this in mind. We are looking for new players that our team can bring in, or my favorite NFL team can bring this guy in. Who's good in this league that my team can pick up? P.J. Walker leaving the XFL, the face of the league. It's sad. It's good for the XFL. It's good for the league. It's just like Trevor Lawrence going to the NFL or Tua going to the NFL. It's the same thing. It's just like college football. You have players. They're there briefly. It's a stepping stone to the next step, which is the NFL. 
Okay, uh, I'm gonna drink some water. I have a, a fun story. I have three more stories before we go to break, and uh, two of them are awesome. One of them is just a. Oh my gosh, I am, I'm fed up a little bit. The the, the middle story between the two fun ones is gonna be brief, and I'm going to be very quick to tell you my frustration. Let's start with this though. The Miami Dolphins have three first-round picks in the 2020 NFL Draft. They have the fifth overall pick, they have the 18th overall pick, and the 26th overall pick. There are now reports circulating that the Miami Dolphins are willing to trade all three of their first-round picks to the Cincinnati Bengals to have the number one overall pick and draft Joe Burrow. They will trade all three of their first-round picks for that one pick to bring in the new quarterback, Joe Burrow, from LSU. And some people are saying this is way too much. You should not give up that many draft picks to get Joe Burrow. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I I completely agree. For one reason, first of all, if the Panthers get, excuse me, if the Dolphins trade away three draft picks, bring in Joe Burrow, and Joe Burrow's the right guy for their team, bam, it's all worth it. That's exactly right. First of all, I think Joe Burrow, by the way, is a better fit in Miami than Cincinnati. Let's be real. I, I love Joe Burrow. I'm a huge fan. I watch a ton of his film. Joe Burrow has average arm strength. What that means is his ability to drive the ball downfield is really good. It's definitely good enough for the NFL. But it's not exactly the guy I want in cold weather games. Joe Burrow's arm is better suited for the warmth in Miami, the weather in Miami, than he is for Cincinnati. And by the way, Cincinnati plays in Pittsburgh. They play in Cleveland. They play in cold Baltimore. Joe Burrow is best suited in Miami. Now, if the Dolphins trade away three draft picks, again, but they get the right guy, he's a franchise quarterback, trading away all three draft picks is totally worth it. That's, I, I don't understand how anybody could argue that's a bad thing. I truly believe Joe Burrow is more likely to succeed with the Dolphins than he would with the Cincinnati Bengals. The Dolphins have a young roster. They're building with young talent. And, you know, they brought in Kyle Vanoy. They're bringing in guys. They're building their team. And the Dolphins have a veteran quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And they have mature ownership. That's not going to rush Joe Burrow to the field. Ryan Fitzpatrick allows the Dolphins to bring in Joe Burrow and let him sit, let him wait, let him learn. Wait until he's ready to play. My fear is that Cincinnati would put him out too early. My fear is that the Cincinnati Bengals would put out Joe Burrow before he's ready and hurt his development as a quarterback. Now, if Cincinnati is offered all three of the Dolphins' first-round picks, they should take the offer. I believe Joe Burrow's great. I believe he's the real deal. I love him. But think about this. Cincinnati would have... The number five overall pick, they could use that to bring in a quarterback. They'd have a top five pick. They could draft a quarterback. Um, Honestly, I think the Bengals would be better off not bringing in Joe Burrow. I think they could get a quarterback with a stronger arm who's more suited to cold weather and more suited to play in the AFC North. Maybe Justin Herbert from Oregon. I'd love that. But number two, think about this. The the Bengals would get two more additional first-round draft picks. They could literally just draft more starters. They could draft a quarterback and two offensive linemen. Bam, their team is instantly way, way better. They'd massively improve their team. I really think that 
this trade, if the Dolphins traded three first-round picks to get the number one overall pick from the Bengals, everybody would succeed. Everybody would win. It'd be good for everybody. And I'll be honest, my greedy self, I really, really want to see Joe Burrow with the Miami Dolphins. I do. I love the Dolphins head coach, Brian Flores. And I think Joe Burrow would be a perfect quarterback for him. I think he's better for the Dolphins than he is for the Bengals. He's a better fit in Miami than he is in Cincinnati. And I'm telling you, Joe Burrow, a guy who's a great leader like that, who prepares so hard, is the perfect quarterback for a team like the Dolphins who are they're building something. The Dolphins are on their way. They need a quarterback of the future. I think Joe Burrow is their guy. I would love to see Joe Burrow in a Miami uniform next year. And, man, I'll be honest, I, I, I just hope that happens. That's what I want so, so badly. I so badly want to see Joe Burrow playing for the Dolphins. I think it's better for his career. He's more likely to succeed in Miami than he would in Cincinnati. Okay, um, I just want to be very, very, I want to be very, very clear. I hate ridiculous rumors. I hate them so, so much. People come up with all kind of crazy things. And then I get thousands and thousands of messages from people saying, Oh, what do you think of this? What do you think of Tony Romo coming out of retirement? What do you think about Tom Brady getting traded to the Cleveland Browns? Here's the newest one, the one that drives me nuts right now. People think that quarterback Deshaun Watson might get traded from the Houston Texans to the New England Patriots. I guess he put some very interesting Drake lyrics on Twitter. He also liked a tweet about maybe the Patriots trading for him. Um, Look, (laughs) Bill O'Brien, the head coach and general manager of the Houston Texans, the guy who makes decisions about where players go in Houston. He's a bad general manager, but he is not brain dead. There's no way Bill O'Brien is going to trade away Deshaun Watson. In fact, nobody would ever, ever trade away Deshaun Watson. That's ridiculous, really stupid. I can't believe anybody's having this conversation. I will because I think, here's the thing. I get messages like this all the time. People say, what do you think about this ridiculous thing or this ridiculous thing? So what I'm going to do, I'm gonna, I picked this one. I'm going to shred it. We're never going to talk about this again, and I'm not going to entertain the idea. I should probably should not have talked about this topic, honestly. I probably should have ignored it, said that's ridiculous nonsense. But I got so many messages. People were like, what do you think of this idea? It's an idea. I think it's fans who have wishful thinking, hoping that their team, the New England Patriots, can get a quarterback. Um, and hoping, honestly, I think some people are Deshaun Watson fans, hoping to save him from the Houston Texans organization who have done nothing but really just hurt his career. But here's the thing. <laughs> the Texans organization is not going to part ways with Deshaun Watson. They would fire Bill O'Brien before they would part ways with Deshaun Watson. Let's say in a hypothetical situation, let's say that Bill O'Brien, the coach and general manager, and Deshaun Watson, the quarterback, had a really bad issue, and they had a problem, they didn't like each other, and it was unresolvable. They could not solve their problem. Well, you know what the owner of the Houston Texans would do? He'd fire Bill O'Brien. He'd say, you know what, Bill O'Brien, I like you. The quarterback is more important than you. You just do not part ways with Deshaun Watson. He's one of the best young quarterbacks in the entire NFL. It's, it's Patrick Mahomes, and then right behind him is Deshaun Watson. The only way 
Deshaun Watson will ever, ever, ever leave Houston is if, well, I, first of all, if he gets hurt and he just totally falls off a cliff and his play gets terrible, then the Texans would be willing to get rid of him. But the other way, if he keeps playing as well as he has, the only way he ever leaves Houston is if he makes it a free agency. And to do that, he'd have to get franchise tagged three times in a row before he'd be truly a free agent, to get free to go wherever he wants. That's the thing, man. I, I shouldn't have given this airtime, but it's ridiculous. You're never, ever going to see Deshaun Watson play quarterback for the New England Patriots. It's not going to happen unless maybe we're, it's like 10 years from now. People pulls up the clip, goes, ha ha, Zach was wrong. And Deshaun Watson's about to retire and he just leaves. He's injured and gimpy and no one wants him. So he goes and plays for the Houston Texans. Kind of like, I don't know if this is right, but maybe you've seen players like Phillip Rivers. We never thought would leave the Chargers. He's now with the Colts. We never thought Tom Brady was going to leave the Patriots. He's now with the Buccaneers. Maybe we see a move like that from Deshaun Watson someday. But as long as Deshaun Watson is playing at a high level, he will never leave Houston. They will never let him leave. I don't know, man. By the way, the Texans would never make a trade with the Patriots anyways. They're not going to give up a good player. Because uh, the Patriots and the Texans are AFC rivals. They play each other in the playoffs regularly. Uh, It's not going to happen. And I'm telling you, no matter what trade a team put together, we have five draft picks, we have this, we have that. No NFL team is going to part ways with their franchise quarterback. It's not going to happen. And the only thing, it's not like the Kansas City Chiefs would be trying to trade for Deshaun Watson. I mean, if, if the Houston Texans were offered Patrick Mahomes and a first-round draft pick, they might trade Deshaun Watson, honestly. But the only team that's ever going to try to trade for Deshaun Watson is a team that doesn't have a quarterback already. You're never going to see the Houston Texans trade Deshaun Watson to the New England Patriots. I can't believe I actually gave that the time of day, but I got so many messages. It drove me nuts. I had to talk about it, and there you go. I discussed the idea. It's dumb. It's stupid. It's not going to happen, but hey, I talked about it for you guys, and uh, please stop sending me really silly, ridiculous theories because it's like fan fiction. It's never going to happen. Okay, uh, I'm going to drink water. We have have one story left. I am so excited about this. Now, it's only one story before we take a break. We have a lot more to go today. We have a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, I got to say, man, I'm so dang excited for this topic. I love this topic so much. When I read this, it fired me up. I found this article on, I found this article on Forbes. And uh, not very many people have seen it. Not very many people have seemed to notice it. But the article is by a guy named, I'm going to get his name right, Anthony Wittrado. And I want to give Anthony props because he had this great idea that is 1,000% worth repeating. His article is titled, The MLB Should Use Mics to Market Players and Broaden Its Audience. And Anthony had two main ideas I want to share. And then I want to add some of my own thoughts to his two main points. So the article documents how During a spring training game, the MLB and ESPN mic'd up players, uh, Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant. And there were a couple funny moments where Anthony Rizzo did things like he talked about, he kind of made fun of the Houston Astros and their cheating scandal. He sang some Selena Gomez lyrics. It was really fun. I enjoyed it. Now, Anthony Wittrado, the guy who wrote the article's best idea, was that miking up players would suddenly make the slow pace of baseball Way more interesting. And I, 
I totally agree. He's very much right. And so Anthony Mitrado's idea got my imagination going. Here are some of my thoughts. I mean, look, yes, it would be amazing to have the strategic conversations in baseball mic'd up. I mean, imagine like a, a pitcher and a catcher have a meeting at the mound. They're like, how do we deal with this batter? They have the gloves over their face. When you get to hear all of it, that'd be incredible. If that's what this turns into, oh my goodness, I would love it. But also, I want you to think about this. What is baseball to you and me? I played baseball as a kid. Really fun. Played with my friends. And baseball was not just a game. It was an entire experience. It was not just about, you know, fielding and hitting and running bases and, you know, pitching. It was about the overall experience of the game. It was funny side conversations. It was pranks in the dugout. It was sometimes the raw emotion of a home run or a strikeout or this or that. That's baseball to me. And I want all of that mic'd up. I mean, all of those little great moments are what makes baseball so great. I mean, that's why I love John Boy's channel, John Boy Media. Uh, I think Jimmy O'Brien is his name. He does a great job. I love that YouTube channel. And the reason why John Boy's YouTube channel is so, so great is because he highlights all the little narratives that happen during a baseball game. Things that, if you're not paying a extremely close attention, you might miss. And, and I really believe, man, the MLB, please, they need to embrace drama. They need to embrace fun, the fun side of baseball. And let's be honest, sports on television are not just a game. Sports are a television show. They're for entertainment. And that's what the NFL and... The NBA understand that Major League Baseball does not seem to get yet is that it's entertainment. It's a television show. You need personality. You need flair. You want guys hitting home runs and doing bat flips. You want guys celebrating. That makes the game fun. Personality, emotion, it matters. Now, there's another point that Anthony Wittrata, the guy who wrote the article, highlighted. And I want to really talk about that briefly. Uh, here's what he said. He said in the article... He talked about how it will be tough to convince players that being mic'd up is a good thing. Here's my thinking on all of that. Here's what my thoughts are. Some players who embrace social media will love the idea of getting mic'd up. They'll be like, oh, we get microphones on us? Oh, yeah, let's do it. That'd be great. But then some guys will shy away from the idea and the publicity and the attention that it would bring. Now, I think that money is a great incentive. You got to also remember that the MLB collective bargaining agreement expires in December 2021. So we'll have a new CBA for the MLB in 2022. This whole idea could be part of the new deal. This having players mic'd up and they could use financial incentives to persuade players this is a good idea. Maybe, I don't know, you give them more revenue from the gigantic piece of the pie. Maybe you have, maybe you have, if you have a mic, you get more money. I don't know. But you would have to have something that teams wouldn't go. Like some NFL teams would go or some Major League Baseball teams would say, oh, we don't want our players mic'd up. You don't want that to be a possibility. You want players to have agency over their ability to be mic'd up. You want, if players want to be mic'd up, you don't want their MLB team to say, you can't do that. But the XFL, the recent football league that happened this spring, the XFL is a perfect example of how this can be used very, very effectively, having players mic'd up. They recorded everything in that league. 
and nothing bad happened. <laughs> there was no crazy, horrible story. Can you believe the conversation they caught here? That didn't happen. What Having players mic'd up helped players gain popularity. And eventually, let's be honest, the players relaxed. They forgot they were even mic'd up. They just played the game of football. In the XFL, when guys were mic'd up, they got so into the game, they just were like, let's do our thing. They just totally forgot about it. It's the same in baseball. You'll get so into the game, you'll just go back to being yourself. And television has really strict rules about language. The dirty jokes, the other stuff that would make a player look bad, it's not going to be aired on television, and it's not even possible. And look, if having players mic'd up was a new thing, then I would understand anybody's hesitation. You know, if people were like, we've never had players mic'd up, why should baseball do that? But that's not the case. The NFL has had players mic'd up for years and years and years. Why can't baseball do that? They should. It's time for the MLB to join the party. Now, the MLB could, could and probably should screen everything. They would only air the positive moments, the things that would make their league look good. Great. I like that. They're not going to be looking for gotcha moments. The MLB is not going to be trying to make their players look bad. That's not at all what would happen here. But they could share the positive moments, the excitement. Have those moments mic'd up and shared to the public. That would be awesome. And I, I'm telling you, man, there's so much possibility here. I just, whether it's conversations in the dugout or singing or fun, fun moments. And really, I'm telling you, the moment I really want, Game 7 of the World Series, bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases loaded, I'm meeting at the pitcher's mound. Hey, you know, glove over the face. How do we deal with this batter? What do we do here? What's the stra- I want to hear the strategic conversation. That would be so cool. I would love it. I mean, doing that would get me to watch baseball on television. Do that. Get the players mic'd up. I'm all in. I, I will watch baseball on TV because for me, there's so much dead air time in baseball. It just, there is a lot of, it's announcers that are old talking about crap I don't care about. If you instituted having players mic'd up, instantly it's way more entertaining. I would love to see that happen. For me, a guy who loves sports, who's not a giant baseball fan, I, look, that's not true. I love the sport of baseball. I don't love Major League Baseball. I like playing baseball. I loved it as a kid. I like going to baseball games. That's really fun. But for me, the television experience hasn't ever been, other than the playoffs, it's just not been that engaging to me. This is a great sell to get someone like me invested in watching TV. This is how you grow your market. I have never wanted baseball to make a change now more than ever, and I do now. I really so badly want to see Major League Baseball mic up a bunch of their players. I would love that. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to the Forbes writer, Anthony Wittrato. Uh, I love, you know, I know nothing about the guy. But his article gave me so many ideas, and I'm telling you guys, I so badly want to see Major League Baseball mic up their players. I would love that. That would be awesome. Please, can we have that happen? All right, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we have predictions versus reality. Ooh, fun stuff. Uh, we're going to start with the NFC East. We'll do the Cowboys, the Eagles, the New York Giants, the Washington Redskins, and then later... We'll do the NFC South and the NFC North. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Uh, my voice is getting lispy. I'm tired. I need a break. I need to drink some water, go to the bathroom, rest my voice a little bit, get my voice back. 
My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, it's time for predictions versus reality. What this segment is, is uh, it's a thing I do. I love it. It's where I talk about my predictions for last year, what I predicted for NFL teams in 2019. And I talk about prediction and compare it to the reality of what actually happened. I talk about, uh, here's the reality. You know, I predicted this, and here's where I was right, and here's where I was wrong. And I love talking about this because it's fun for me to revisit my predictions. People love when I talk about where I was wrong. I acknowledge my faults. That's fun for me. And so what I want to do is start with the Philadelphia Eagles. I predicted the Philadelphia Eagles to go 9-7 and last year. And the big storyline I was interested in was can Carson Wentz, the quarterback, stay healthy? So, by the way, the Eagles did actually go 9-7. and Interesting. They did make the playoffs. Good, good for them. But, uh, you know, it was a weird year. Uh, BleedingGreenNation.com did a poll uh, that they sent to fans. A fan sent it to me. And 71% of Eagles fans voted that the Eagles 2019 season was both a success and a disappointment. And I don't blame those Eagles fans. Again, a success, but also at the same time, a disappointing year. Yes, the Eagles made the playoffs, but they won and did that more because of the fact that their division, the NFC East, was pretty mediocre. Now, to me, the bright spot of the Eagles 2019 season was their quarterback, Carson Wentz. I'm a huge fan. I love the guy. Now, I predicted the Eagles to go 9-7. and seven. Did that happen? Yes, it did. But I was still pretty wrong about how it went down. Uh, I was wrong about how difficult it would be for the Eagles to reach 9-7. and seven. I said in my prediction topic that if Carson Wentz played on a high level, played at a high level, then the Eagles would have a better record than 9-7. and seven. Now, unfortunately, Carson Wentz was spectacular. And yet the Eagles still only won nine games. That's, hmm, I don't know. Now, honestly, in 2019, what the Eagles showed was that they need more offensive weapons. It's really been tough for me to watch other quarterbacks around the NFL. Guys like, you know, Kirk Cousins had tremendous weapons around him in 2019. Or Jameis Winston in Tampa Bay had really great receiving talent to work with. Now, I'm a big believer of Carson Wentz. Uh, he elevated the Eagles last year. But I, I, I think you got to put better pieces around. If you put even better pieces around Carson Wentz, give him some great receivers, give him some better weapons, oh my gosh, special things will happen. They already won a Super Bowl a couple of years ago. They did it on Carson Wentz's rookie contract. And that year, he was phenomenal. We'll talk about that in a minute. And I think if you keep building around Carson Wentz, you are going to be handsomely rewarded. Now, what I want to do, I want to tell you a fragment of a story that people, people often misinterpret and manipulate. Here's one sentence. If we stopped there, it'd be a problem. We won't just stop there. Here's a true statement. Carson Wentz got hurt in the playoffs last year. If that's the end of the story, then you could argue that, oh, Carson Wentz is injury prone. But if you did that, you would be being totally dishonest. That's not a good way to do it. You got to look at the context of what happened. Number one, what was Carson Wentz's injury? 
In the first quarter of a playoff game against the Seattle Seahawks, Carson Wentz got hit in the head. And Eagles fans called it a dirty hit. To me, it was questionable. It was, you know, that cliche, a bang-bang play where, you know, the NFL ruled it incidental contact. Ah, to me, that's what it looked like. But either way, it was really sad. Carson Wentz got hurt, and it cost the Eagles their chances at winning a playoff game. They put in the backup guy, Josh McCown. And he, he, I like Josh McCown. He's no Carson Wentz, though. But the injury in the playoffs was a fluke. It was not evidence that Carson Wentz is injury-prone. It's just not. You have to take a step backward and look at the full context of Carson Wentz, both his 2019 season and his entire career. Last year in 2019, Carson Wentz played all 16 regular season games. It's the first time he's done that in a while. You know, he's been in the NFL for four years. In year one, he played 16 games. In year two, he tore his ACL. In year three, he had a lingering back injury, a fractured vertebrae, which is an awful, awful thing to try to play football with. And the Eagles decided to end Carson Wentz season early in year three because they wanted to ensure his long-term health rather than have him play hurt and risk getting even more injured. So year one, 16 games. Year two, torn ACL. Year three, a fractured vertebrae. Year four, played all 16 games and then had a fluky injury where he got hit in the head and had to go into concussion protocol in the NFL playoffs. I don't know. Carson Wentz had unfortunate back-to-back injuries, but the sample size is so small. If you go, you know, half the years Carson Wentz has played, he's been injured. He missed games. He missed full parts of the season. You could say that. You could say he's only played 16 games in half of his seasons in his career. But he's only played four years. So if you do that, you're being dishonest and you're not telling the whole story. I really believe Carson Wentz is a special talent. And the Eagles just need to give him more help. They need to keep investing in him because he's a really, really great quarterback. And it's so annoying to me. People regularly compare Carson Wentz to the Rams quarterback, Jared Goff. He's so much better than Jared Goff. It's just ridiculous to compare Carson Wentz and Jared Goff. Carson Wentz is a way better quarterback. Here are like the three best young quarterbacks in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes, Carson Wentz, and Deshaun Watson. They're the three best. He's physically so much more talented than Jared Goff. He's a way better passer. He's a better athlete. And it's really sad to me the way that Carson Wentz is viewed in the NFL. He's kind of the ultimate what if. Nobody ever seems to appreciate the year that Carson Wentz had. The season that the Eagles went to the Super Bowl. All anybody remembers from that year is Nick Foles, the backup quarterback. And I don't blame him. It's an amazing story. Carson Wentz got hurt. Nick Foles came in as a backup quarterback, led the team to win a Super Bowl. It's unbelievable. But people forget that Carson Wentz put them in the position to make a Super Bowl run. Yeah, Nick Foles finished the job. But if Carson Wentz had not gotten hurt that year, he would have won the NFL MVP. He was on track to be the NFL MVP. He was phenomenal. And nobody seems to remember that. Now, would the Eagles have rallied and won the Super Bowl? I don't know. Maybe not. I do think that Carson Wentz getting hurt was a 
injury that helped to unify their locker room. They rallied around that opportunity. Now we're the underdogs. Our quarterback's hurt. Nobody believes in us. Let's prove everybody wrong. And they did. They won the Super Bowl. But we do also have to acknowledge if Carson Wentz had not gotten hurt, then NFL fans would respect him a lot more. He would be greater. He'd be more respected because he probably would have won an NFL MVP. Now, I think Eagles fans are happy. They won a Super Bowl. They'll trade a Super Bowl for an NFL MVP if they had to pick one. But Carson Wentz is not well-remembered in NFL history. He's got time to change the way he's viewed. But right now, the way people view Carson Wentz around the NFL is mostly just wrong. He's a great quarterback. NFL people really love him and respect him. But the fans don't quite understand how good Carson Wentz is. His film is incredible. He's a great quarterback. And Carson Wentz deserves a lot more respect than he currently gets. Now, let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys. I predicted the Dallas Cowboys to go 10-6 and and win their division in 2019. Now, in my season preview of the Dallas Cowboys, I talked about how the Cowboys had all this young talent. And I said 2019 was their last chance to capitalize on a special collection of young players. Here's the sad reality of the Cowboys' 2019 season. They failed. They failed. They had a disappointing year. They went 8-8, eight and eight, and they did not make the playoffs. The Cowboys had this four-year window where their starting quarterback, Dak Prescott, was on a cheap rookie contract. Now the Cowboys have to pay their quarterback, Dak, upwards of $30 million a year. They missed on their Super Bowl opportunity. They missed. They're not going to get it. At least, they might get a Super Bowl. I, don't, I have no idea. Who knows what's going to happen in the future for the Dallas Cowboys. But they missed on their opportunity to build an incredible roster around a quarterback on a really cheap rookie contract. They missed that window. They're not going to get it back. And this year in free agency, they lost Byron Jones. They lost Robert Quinn, a great pass rusher. They lost receiver Randall Cobb, although they did probably expect he was going to leave. They gave him a one-year contract. It was a prove-it contract. He proved it. And in the end, the Dallas Cowboys fired their head coach, Jason Garrett. To me, the 2019 season for the Dallas Cowboys feels like a missed opportunity. They had a really good collection of young players, and they couldn't win. They couldn't make it happen. They didn't even make the playoffs. Here's another sad reality. The Cowboys had eight wins last year. Who did they really beat, though? The Cowboys beat one playoff team last year. They beat the 9-7 and seven Eagles, a division rival. Here are the Cowboys' other seven wins from last year. They beat the, they beat the Giants twice. The Giants went 4-12. and 12. They beat the Redskins twice. The Redskins went 3-13. and 13. They also beat the Rams the Dolphins, and the Lions. Whoop-de-doo! Congratulations! You beat some bad football teams. Here's what's really sad. Here's who the Cowboys lost to. They lost to the Saints, a playoff team. And the Saints, by the way, in that game started a backup quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater. They didn't even lose to Drew Brees. They lost to Teddy Bridgewater. The Cowboys also lost to the Packers, a playoff team. The Vikings, a playoff team. The Patriots, an Eagle, a playoff team. The Eagles, a playoff team. And the Bills, another playoff team. 
Now, they did lose to the Jets and the Bears. And yeah, <laughs> let's, not re- let's not forget the Cowboys lost to the Bears with Mitchell Trubisky playing quarterback. That's not, I don't know. To me, the Cowboys' lowest point of the year was when they lost to the Bills on Thanksgiving Day. They lost to the Buffalo Bills at home. And the Bills were leading 26-7 to in the fourth quarter. Then what Dak Prescott did is padded his stats. He had a late touchdown in the fourth quarter to make the score 26-15. to That game was 26-7 to in the fourth quarter in Dallas Cowboys Stadium, losing to the Buffalo Bills on Thanksgiving Day. The Cowboys' 2019 season was disappointing. For head coach Jason Garrett, it, this is what's interesting. Jason Garrett, the head coach who got fired, took the fall. He got all the blame. But do not forget, please do not forget, the Cowboys roster was loaded with a lot of young, talented players. And the question you need to ask is how much of that blame belongs to Dak Prescott? To only win eight games, to only beat one playoff team with a really, really good roster? You can blame the coach all you want, but how much of the blame should go on to the quarterback? Here's my favorite storyline, a major storyline for the 2020 NFL season. The Cowboys have a new head coach, Mike McCarthy. He's a proven winner. He won a Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers. Which means that there are now no more excuses for Dak Prescott in Dallas. He's got a good head coach. He's won a Super Bowl. He's getting paid over $30 million this year. He's on a one-year prove-it contract, a franchise tag. And it is time for Dak Prescott to finally prove his worth. Excuses are over. You won eight games last year with a great roster, yet the coach took the fall. Dak Prescott did not get any of the blame. I mean, he, he didn't get, he, he was offered a big contract. He turned it down. It is time for Dak Prescott to prove just how good he really is this year in 2020. All right. Um, I predicted the New York Giants to go 5-11 and in 2019. I said that 2019 was going to be an ugly rebuilding year for the Giants franchise. And I said that the Giants fans needed to understand that and have patience for their franchise. The Giants had just drafted a quarterback. They used uh, seven of their nine picks in the NFL draft to draft defenders. They were building their defense. They had a young rookie quarterback. And here's what happened. Here's the reality of the Giants' 2019 season. The Giants went 4-12, and and it went exactly like I said it would. It was a ugly, and I don't know if ugly is the word. It was a rebuilding year. Ugly or not, if, I don't think it was that ugly, but there certainly were growing pains. And at the end of the year, the Giants fired their head coach, Pat Shermer. Now, at first, I was unsure whether or not that was the right move. My fear was firing a coach with a rookie quarterback was a bad move because now the rookie quarterback has to relearn an entire new offensive system. But then what I did is I came up with a list of five traits needed to that were required for a coach to be a good NFL head coach. These are the five things I came up with. Number one, a coach needed to be respected and revered, even kind of feared, kind of like a a pirate ship captain where 
you're not trying to get in trouble with that guy. That guy, Bill Belichick, is feared in the Patriots locker room. Even if you're not feared, at least you got to be respected. Number two, you needed to be organized. Number three, the coach needed to make good decisions in high-pressure in-game situations. Number four, they had to be an overall good decision maker. I want to see. I don't want to see off the field issues from your head coach. And number five, you got to be football smart with schemes and play design stuff like that. Now, the sad reality of Pat Shermer is that he only had two of those five things. He didn't have any off the field issues. So what I decided was he must be an overall good decision maker. Fine, and he's a really good offensive coordinator. I mean, Pat Shermer. I don't think should be a head coach. I think he's a good offensive coordinator. He's great at play designs. He's good at creating schemes. But Pat Shermer completely failed at the three most important things you need to be an NFL head coach. Number one, he wasn't feared or respected in the Giants locker room. Number two, he was disorganized. Had all kinds of weird things happen last year. Weird play calls I didn't understand. Things were like, you just don't look organized or well put together. And number three, he mishandled a ton of in-game decision-making stuff. He failed the three most important things you need to pass in order to be a great NFL head coach. So Pat Shermer was fired. And the Giants brought in this guy, Joe Judge. I don't know what's going to happen with Joe Judge. But I'm really interested. They have a new coaching staff. Joe Judge, at the very least, is feared. Go watch Joe Judge's introductory press conference with the New York Giants. That dude does not mess around. He's very serious. And uh, I don't know. It's, he's definitely different. To me, a bright spot from the Giants' 2019 season was they found their quarterback of the future, though. I love Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is awesome. I did a film analysis of him last year. And uh, in the end, the Giants' 2019 season was exactly what I said it would be. It was in a rebuilding year for developing young players, but I think the future is bright in New York. I'm excited to watch them next year. I don't know what they're going to turn into, but I like the quarterback. They have a great running back. They're they're building their team, and uh, their coaching staff intrigues me. They got a lot of they have a couple former NFL head coaches on their staff. They have a guy, Joe Judge, who's never been a head coach before, who's delegating a bunch and hiring smart guys. So I'm really curious what's going to happen with the New York Giants in 2020. I hope they head in the right direction. I'm rooting for them. I like the people they have there, and we will find out in 2020. I'm going to drink some water, then talk about the Washington Redskins. Oh, man, it's going to be fun. I spilled. How do I do? It's like I've never drank water before. How do you, <laughs> how do you spill on yourself? I have no idea. Um, I predicted the Washington Redskins to go 3-13 and 13 in 2019. And, uh, oh, my gosh. Um, the Washington Redskins fan base was so... So mad at me. They were not happy. And I don't blame them. Right? People do not like hearing that their team is going to do poorly. I felt like I was kind of like the messenger. I was the bearer of bad news. And you don't need to kill the messenger. I got killed a little bit. I don't mind. Like, Redskins fans weren't terrible. But, like, I I was I was like, do we have to be that mad? Like, I get it. But, hey, that's the nature of this job. I understand. Part of my job means getting mean, hateful comments. And in the end, I was right. The 2019... Washington Redskins, their year was a mess, man. Oh, my gosh. Uh, they went 3-13, and 13, exactly like I predicted, like to a T. It went exactly like I predicted. They started at 0-5, and, and then they fired their head coach, Jay Gruden. 
And even more said, here's the real tragedy of the year to me for the Redskins last year. They weren't patient with their rookie quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. They put in Dwayne Haskins before he was ready. They put him in week four against the New York Giants. I think it was because they were playing another rookie quarterback, Daniel Jones. They were trying to show, like, our guy can play too. They put him in way too early. He had an ugly game through three interceptions. He looked scared. He, looked, he just looked all over the place. He looked completely unprepared for the moment. And um, it was sad, man. I just was like, why? Why are you putting in Dwayne Haskins? They had an ugly year. So now the Redskins have hired a new coach, Ron Rivera, from the Carolina Panthers. I like Ron Rivera. They have the number two overall pick. And uh, here's what's sad. You know, they, they put in Dwayne Haskins before he was ready. I've always kind of been concerned. I, I watch interviews with Dwayne Haskins and hear the things he says. And I, I really got to wonder about Dwayne Haskins' maturity. He did a, a thing, a video where he talked about a video where it was for Forbes. He said, like, it was a video where how he talked about how he spent his first million dollars. And I was like, this is just weird. I don't, I'm not, a, I don't, I wasn't a fan of it at all. And uh, Ron Rivera, the new head coach of the Redskins, has been super non-committal to Dwayne Haskins. Some people believe that the Redskins could draft a new quarterback with that number two overall pick. They could also sign Jameis Winston. Uh, they brought in Kyle Allen, their former backup from Carolina. But I got to say, overall, I, I just I don't want to brag. I, I'll do that later when I talk about the Carolina Panthers because they were awful to me. Uh, but I do want to say, like, I nailed this prediction. I got it completely right. Um, I said that the Washington Redskins would be a dysfunctional mess. They were. I said they were going to go 3-13. and 13. They did. And I warned them, please do not play your young rookie quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, before he's ready. And guess what? They did exactly that. Redskins fans were furious with me. They were so, so mad when I said their team was going to go 3-13. and 13. And, uh, you know, when I make my predictions, I don't try to make mean content. I don't try to tear people down. I don't. Um, and I'm not going to gloat about this one because sometimes I get things pretty wrong. And, you know, sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. This is one of those occasions where I totally nailed it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just want to say, like, I, I did nail this one. I was really right about it. And um, I hope that Redskins fans next year, if I make a prediction about their team, I hope they just remember, hey, like, I got this one pretty right. Please be kind to me uh, when it comes time to uh, make predictions. I don't, I'm not mean-spirited. I don't root against anybody. I just try to call it like I see it, and that's what I do. Because my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do predictions versus reality for the NFC South. Those teams are the New Orleans Saints, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll talk about what happened with Jameis Winston. We'll talk about the Atlanta Falcons. We'll talk about the Carolina Panthers. And then after that, we will end the show by doing predictions versus reality for the NFC North. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right All right, we are back. Um, I want to just jump into it and uh, talk about the New Orleans Saints. I predicted the New Orleans Saints to go 12-4 and four in uh, 2019. I believed they would be the number one seed in the NFC. And I really thought they were going to be a Super Bowl team. You know, they almost made it in 2018. They had that game where they lost in the championship game to the Rams. They had that game where all oh, they had that, that should have been a pass interference. It wasn't called. That cost them a trip to the Super Bowl. I thought that in 2019 last year, they were going to come back for revenge and uh, make it to a Super Bowl. And they had a great offensive line, a great roster, a great defensive line, 
a great quarterback, great coach, Sean Payton. And they had this great, incredible receiver, Michael Thomas. And uh, the reality of the 2019 New Orleans Saints season is that it's all about how it ended. They went 13-3, and which is even better than I predicted they would do. But they ended up being the number three seed in the NFC. And basically, they lost their two biggest games of the year. The two times where they had to win, they lost. And oddly enough, both of those losses came at home. So it all started for them in week 14. They lost to the San Francisco 49ers 48-46 to on a last-second field goal. And that cost them a shot at being the number one seed. You know, the Packers, the 49ers, and the Saints, they all went 13-3. and And that game pushed them down to the bottom of those three teams. That's why they had to play a game in the wild card. And, uh, you know, the Saints lost in overtime in the wild card round to the Minnesota Vikings. They lost 26-20. to And what's, here's what's really sad. The sad reality of that game is that they should have won. They had the ball at the 20-yard line, first and 10, four minutes and 26 seconds left. But Drew Brees fumbled and gave the ball back to the Vikings. That cost them a, a, a really big possession and cost them a chance to score. And so there were two really big moments this year, this past year for the New Orleans Saints, where they were really, really close, but they couldn't finish at the end of a game. They lost by a hair to the 49ers Week 14, and they lost at the end of the game in the playoffs to the Minnesota Vikings. And it's sad, man. I really thought that the New Orleans Saints were going to be a Super Bowl team. I thought they were Super Bowl bound, and they were so close, but they just missed. They just barely missed twice. And what I was most sad about was that we didn't get a rematch. That 49ers-Saints game, Week 14, 48-46, last-second field goal, I mean, that was one of the best games of the year. I mean, really, to me, some of the best games of the year all included. It was like the two times the 49ers played the Seattle Seahawks, and then that game, Week 14, where the 49ers played the Saints. I mean, basically, the 49ers gave us some of the best games of the year, but I so badly wanted an NFC Championship game between the Saints and 49ers, and we didn't get it. I was so sad. Now, it is worth noting, um, in that Week 14 game, Saints defensive end Marcus Davenport got hurt. He missed the rest of the season after that. That certainly did not help their chances at making a Super Bowl. But I was just sad, man. The Saints came so close and didn't make it. And I'd love to see them make a run again next year at the Super Bowl. I don't know if they can, um, but I thought they were a team that was Super Bowl bound. And it just didn't happen. And I, I was really sad for the Saints last year that it didn't. Now, last year, last year I predicted the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to go 8-8. Eight and eight. And I was actually really, really excited to watch the Buccaneers last year because they got a new head coach, Bruce Arians. And Bruce Arians has worked with a ton of really great quarterbacks over the years. He's worked with Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, Carson Palmer, Andrew Luck. And I really believed that if anybody was going to be able to help the Buccaneers' erratic quarterback, Jameis Winston, I really thought that a guy like Bruce Arians was the guy to do it. I mean, Jameis Winston had gotten in trouble off the field a couple times. He was all over the place throwing a ton of interceptions on the field. And I figured a veteran, no-nonsense coach like Bruce Arians could, if anybody could do it, 
Bruce Arians was the guy to help Jameis Winston, and I was very, very wrong. It didn't happen. But first of all, it is worth saying, you know, the Buccaneers had a solid roster last year. They had great offensive weapons. They had Mike Evans. They had Chris Godwin, Cameron Brait, O.J. Howard on offense. They had good players on defense. They had Shaq Howard, uh, Shaq Barrett, excuse me, Shaq Barrett, who ended up having 19 and a half sacks in the NFL last year. They had Jason Pierre-Paul. They had Vita Vea. The Buccaneers had a new defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles, the former Jets head coach. The Buccaneers were a good team last year, but they had one major issue. And if you have followed the Buccaneers at all, you know what that one major issue was. It was pretty obvious. In the end, the Buccaneers went 7-9, and nine, and their biggest issue was their quarterback, Jameis Winston. Yes, Jameis had some good statistics. Uh, he had 33 passing touchdowns. He actually led the NFL in passing yards. But here's the problem. Jameis Winston, good numbers on one side. The positive stuff, great. And if you only talk about that, you only say that, you know, Jameis Winston led the NFL in passing yards. Woo! So great. Oh, but the number you have to pay attention to, he had 30 interceptions. 3-0, 30 interceptions and five fumbles. He had 35 turnovers during a 16-game season. Your quarterback cannot do that. I mean, honestly, it's a miracle that the Buccaneers even won seven games last year. How did they do that? It's unbelievable. And really what that does, the fact that the Buccaneers won seven games, even though their quarterback had 35 turnovers, what that shows is that they had a really good all-around team. It shows how good, it says a lot about how good the Buccaneers team was last year. Here's what's crazy to me. Here's what happened in five of the Buccaneers' losses last year. In week one, they lost to the 49ers 31-17. to And Jameis Winston had one touchdown and three interceptions. Ooh, not good. Now week six, they lost to the Panthers 36-26. to Jameis had one touchdown and five interceptions. Five interceptions, and his team only lost by 11 points. And they still scored 26 points. I mean, man, if Jameis has like three fewer interceptions. Only, I mean, that's a lot of interceptions. Five interceptions? And they only lost by 11? Week eight, they lost to the Titans 27-23. They only lost by four points. Jameis had two touchdowns, two interceptions, and two fumbles. Four turnovers. His team still only lost by four points. Unbelievable. Week 11, they lost to the New Orleans Saints 34-17. Two touchdowns. Jameis had four interceptions. And then finally, week 16, they lost to the Texans 23-20. to They lost to the Texans by three points. Jameis had one touchdown and four interceptions. Again, they only lost by three points, and Jameis played horribly. I mean, look, anybody who thought that the Buccaneers were going to bring Jameis Winston back after last year was absolutely insane. When you look at that, and you look at how many games Jameis Winston cost his team, there's no way they were going to bring Jameis Winston back. This is why the Buccaneers brought in Tom Brady. They lost to playoff teams last year by three and four points. The Texans and the Titans, playoff teams. They lost by three points to the Texans, four points to the Titans, and their quarterback had four turnovers in those games each. Each of those games. The Buccaneers were a good team. 
They just needed their quarterback problem fixed. Tom Brady brings exactly what the Buccaneers need. He plays the quarterback position cleanly and efficiently. That's what they need. Tom Brady only had eight interceptions last year. Jameis Winston had five in one game. He had over half of Tom Brady's interceptions in one game. Yes, Tom Brady is a way better quarterback for the Buccaneers than Jameis Winston was. And I can't believe that's even disputed. Now, I want to talk about numbers for a minute. You know, this whole topic so far has been about one important number. I've been talking about turnovers. How, you know, turnovers, Jameis Winston had 35 last year. That's unacceptable for a quarterback in a 16-game season. But some dorks are digging way too much into the stats and into the numbers from last year. Some people are saying that, I've seen people arguing that Tom Brady's not going to fit into the Buccaneers system, which is just insane to me. But they say this. They say, look at the number of deep balls Jameis Winston threw last year. He threw way more deep balls than Tom Brady. And they go, oh, I don't know. I don't think Tom Brady can fit into the Jameis Winston offense in Tampa Bay. Hmm. I don't know that Tom Brady's going to work in Jameis Winston's offense. Please stop. Please, please stop that line of thought. Just please stop. That's ridiculous. Use common sense. First of all, the Buccaneers' offense last year did not work. (laughs) It it wasn't successful. Their quarterback threw 30 interceptions. They're going to make changes. And number two, yeah, Jameis Winston threw the ball deep a lot last year. It doesn't mean it was a good thing. He, again, three zero interceptions. That's insane. And those were his decisions. Those were not the coach throwing 30. Those were not the coach throwing a bunch of deep balls. That was the quarterback making those decisions. And here's the the, the honest truth. Number three, the reality of the Buccaneers next year. If Tom Brady joins your team, you adjust to Tom Brady. And you don't just do it because it's Tom Brady. Yes, of course, you're going to adapt your football team to work for Tom Brady. But even remove Tom Brady's status as a quarterback. What any coach does is adjust your offense to the personnel you have. They're not going to try to shoehorn Tom Brady into some offense that doesn't work for him. Stop saying that Tom Brady is not going to fit into the Buccaneers system. That's nonsense. Tom Brady is exactly what the Buccaneers have been missing. This feels to me a lot like when Peyton Manning joined the Denver Broncos. They're going to build an offense around Tom Brady. They're literally in meetings right now collaborating, figuring out, How can this work? How can we build an offense that best suits our team and skill set? Tom Brady joined a good team that was ready to win that just needed a quarterback. Again, very similar. Very much reminds me of when Peyton Manning joined the Denver Broncos. Tom Brady is so much better for the Buccaneers than Jameis Winston was. And I read something the other day. It was really cool. It was a very clickbaity article. The article said, Here's the one thing that Tom Brady requested when he joined the Buccaneers. And here's what's cool. Tom Brady joined the Buccaneers, and his one request was this. He said, I want the phone numbers of my new teammates. I want to talk to my new teammates. That's that's awesome. Tom Brady gets it. He's a great leader. He does the little things right. And he's going to do what Jameis Winston did not last year which is take care of the ball. The Buccaneers had so many opportunities to win last year. I mean, look, 
To lose by three points to the Houston Texans, even though your quarterback has four interceptions, or to lose to the Titans, even though your quarterback has four turnovers by four points. Playoff teams, teams that the Titans won a playoff game, they beat the Ravens. The, the Buccaneers were this close to beating the, the Tennessee Titans last year, and their quarterback cost them the game. That's the reality of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're a good football team that just needs stable quarterback play. That's exactly what Tom Brady brings to the table. That's what happened to the Buccaneers last year. And that is why Tom Brady is exactly what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers need. All right. Um, I predicted the Atlanta Falcons to go 10-6 and six last year. And I was concerned about their defense and their offensive line. Well, here's the reality of what happened. The offensive line and the defense were even bigger issues than I could have predicted last year. Uh, the Falcons went 7-9. and nine, And uh, they were supposed to have two starting rookie offensive linemen. But here's what happened. Their first-round pick and right guard, Chris Lindstrom, got hurt early in the year and missed most of the season. The Falcons' offensive line gave up 50 sacks last year. And the Falcons started the year 1-7. That's the reality of what happened. But I will say this. They got Chris Lindstrom back at the end of the year, and they ended on a positive note. The Falcons won their final four games. Uh, they won four games in a row at the end of the year. And the best moment of the year for the Falcons was Week 16 when they beat the San Francisco 49ers, the number one seed in the NFC. They beat them 29-22. to At the end of the year, the Falcons came together. Here's what I have to say about the Falcons right now. Their quarterback, Matt Ryan, is going to turn 35 in May. 35 years old. The Falcons are kind of running out of time with their roster. They have a quarter. They have a running back, Todd Gurley, who has arthritis. They have Julio Jones, a star receiver, who's 31 years old. They're rebuilding on defense. I am really curious to see what the Falcons do in 2020, but I really believe their time is running out. Matt Ryan's aging. Julio Jones is aging. They're paying Matt Ryan a ton of money. And uh, we, the Falcons better get good quick because... Last year was just a wasted year, man. They, they, had, they had some good, they had a good quarterback. They had a good receiver, Julio Jones. They had Calvin Ridley. And they just did not do well. And you cannot be wasting good years of Matt Ryan's career. That's what happened to the Falcons last year. The Falcons wasted a good year of Matt Ryan's career. They'd better get it cleaned up very quickly because Matt Ryan is aging quickly and uh, they're running out of time with the roster they have in Atlanta. All right, here's the fun one for me. Um... Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I predicted the Carolina Panthers to go 6-10 and 10 last year. And uh, I was concerned about their secondary play. Uh, they play in a tough division where you know, every team in the NFC South has really good receivers. The Saints have Michael Thomas. The Buccaneers have Mike Evans. The Falcons have Julio Jones. But my main concern about the Carolina Panthers was their quarterback and his health, the health of Cam Newton. Here's what I said. Take a listen to what I said about Cam Newton in my 2019 predictions video for the Carolina Panthers. I'm really uncomfortable with the injuries Cam Newton's having and the way he plays football. I, I just, I don't think it's sustainable. It's likely we're going to see a backup quarterback play for the Panthers this year, whether it's uh, Kyle Allen or Will Greer. And I sadly think that's why the Carolina Panthers are going to be fourth in the NFC South, and probably going to go 6-10. and 10. Look, I nailed this one. I did. Uh, the Panthers went 5-11. and 11. Their head coach, Ron Rivera, was fired. 
Oh, and the quarterback, Cam Newton, got hurt. And he only played two games last year. This is one of those moments I want people to remember. I get hate all the time. And sometimes the hate I get is very, very well-deserved. I say things sometimes that are wrong. People just are awful and hateful to me. And hey, when I'm wrong, fair enough. But I want people to go read the comments on my video titled, The Panthers Will Go 6-10 and 10 in 2019. I normally understand when people are mad at me. I get it. Sports fans are passionate. And people don't like hearing bad things about their favorite team. But last year, Panthers fans crossed the line. What they said to me, they sent me so many terrible, horrible messages directly on Instagram. And and in the end, I want people to remember, I was right. People take my predictions so, so personally. And I, I just, all I do when I make predictions on Strong Opinion Sports, I try to be accurate and I try to be honest. That's what I try to do. So this one time, I'm going to brag. The things people sent to me, oh my gosh, I have never run into a fan base who said more horrible things to me. And I was one thousand percent right in the end of the year cam newton got hurts the team was terrible they were last in their division i get hate for so many things but getting called horrible horrible things because of a prediction that a team is going to go six and ten i man i i don't know i mean i i predicted the redskins the washington redskins i predicted them to go three and 13 i called the redskins a mess of a franchise i was really harsh on that topic And yet Redskins fans were respectful to me. They were way more respectful to me than Carolina Panthers fans were. So to the Panthers fans who said all these horrible, terrible messages to me, they said all these horrible things to me. (laughs) I was right. Panthers fans, I was right. You were wrong. I nailed my predictions of the 2019 Carolina Panthers. All those mean messages, all your irrational hatred and anger, I got the last laugh. I was right. And uh, I hope you can... uh, enjoy my victory because I, I really nailed that prediction and I got everything right. Okay, uh, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to do predictions versus reality for the NFC North, the Green Bay Packers, the Minnesota Vikings, the Chicago Bears, and the Detroit Lions. I'm going to take a short break and I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um... We're doing predictions versus reality. It's time for the Green Bay Packers. I want to start with them. Um, I predicted the Green Bay Packers to go 11-5 and last year. I predicted them to win the NFC North. And I was really, really excited to watch them because they got a new head coach, Matt LaFleur. They finally got a good defense. They brought in a bunch of new players, Preston Smith, Zedarius Smith off the edge. Uh, They brought in a new safety, Adrian Amos, who was... uh, more reliable and more consistent than the former safety, haha Clinton Dix. The Packers had a great running back, Aaron Jones, and I really believed in their quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. I believed he was going to light it up in the Packers' new offense. Now, I got a lot of things right with the Packers last year, but I missed one really big thing. Uh, the Packers did, in fact, win their division, the NFC North. Uh, they went 13 and 3, which is a little better than I predicted. Um, but the reason why the Packers went 13 and three was less because of their quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, and more because of the roster around him. I thought they were going to have one of the highest scoring, 
you know, flashiest offenses in the entire NFL. And they weren't. They just were not. They were led by their defense instead. They had numerous games where people called them, quote, ugly wins. You know, week two against the Minnesota Vikings is a great example. They won 21 to 16. Aaron Rodgers had pretty modest numbers. The running back Aaron Jones ran the ball for over 100 yards. And it was the defense in the end that made a big play to win the game. Uh, the Packers defense did not allow the Vikings to score in the fourth quarter. In fact, they had an interception on the goal line at the end of the game. And the way the Packers won is they ran out the ball at the end of the game and didn't give the ball back to the Vikings. The defense, though, in that game, and for most of the year, the theme of the you know, throughout the season for the Packers was their defense. The Packers went 13-3, and playing good defense, running the ball, and having their quarterback Aaron Rodgers play efficient, clean football. Now, the Packers played 18 games last year. And there were only five games last year where, five of those 18, there were only five games where Aaron Rodgers threw for over 300 yards passing. Which is not like, like stats are not everything, but I just would have expected. If you told me going into last year, I was like, man, Aaron Rodgers... Might be an MVP candidate. He's going to have a ton of yards. Going to blow up the NFL. And in fact, two of those five games where Aaron Rodgers threw for over 500 yards, the Packers lost. So a lot of people, there was a narrative last year that Aaron Rodgers is a bad quarterback. His numbers are down. He's not shredding the NFL. What's going on? And I really want to clear this up. Aaron Rodgers is not a bad quarterback. The narrative is totally wrong. I mean, people don't get it. It's not that Aaron Rodgers suddenly is a bad quarterback. The thing is that the Packers' philosophy changed. The Packers simply changed their approach to winning football games. Instead of relying on Aaron Rodgers to be Superman and put the team on his back and make incredible plays and have a superhuman effort in order for them to win, the difference was the Packers finally put a quality team around their quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. They won differently than they have in years. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. The way the Packers changed was great. They're finally a good football team. They're not just a team with a good quarterback. The Packers are now a quality roster from top to bottom. And uh, I I actually really loved what they did last year. The Packers maxed out what they had, and they won as a team rather than just relying on their quarterback to be Superman. It's not a bad thing. It doesn't reflect poorly on Aaron Rodgers. It's just that their philosophy, the approach as a whole franchise, by the Green Bay Packers, totally shifted. Let's build a great defense, let's run the ball well, and have Aaron Rodgers play efficient, clean football. It's exactly what happened. And it's not that Aaron Rodgers is bad. It's that the Packers' approach to winning football games has now changed. Instead of trying to throw for more yards, they tried to run at the clock. They weren't as aggressive. They were, let's run the ball, let's control the game, and we're going to win, and they did. They went 13-3 uh, and three and had a great year. So I, I really enjoyed watching the Packers last year. I was right, they didn't win their division. But the one thing I was wrong about was Aaron Rodgers was not the MVP candidate I would have predicted. They changed their philosophy of how they want to win games in Green Bay. I predicted the Minnesota Vikings to go 7-9 and nine and finish 4th in the NFC North. <laughs> oh my goodness, I was very, 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 I'll say it a lot of times, very, very wrong about the Minnesota Vikings last year. Uh, Part of why I was so down and had such a low prediction of the Vikings is that, uh, you know, I just didn't trust them. In 2018, the Vikings' first year with new quarterback Kirk Cousins, 
I predicted the Vikings to go 11-5, and five, and they did not. They went actually 8-7-1. and one. And I also did not know what to expect from the Vikings running back, Dalvin Cook. I mean, I literally said, is Dalvin Cook any good? In that video, I was like, is Dalvin Cook a good running back? We'll find out. You know, remember in 2017, his rookie year, he only played in four games. He got hurt. And in his second year, 2018, he got hurt again. He only played in 11 games. So this past year, with Dalvin Cook, I had no idea what to expect. I was like, is he a good running back? I, I don't know. And this is really where the biggest difference between my prediction and what happened, this is what caused the drastic change between you know the 7-9 prediction I made and the, uh, the year they had. You know, Dalvin Cook played great. He did not play in all 16 games. He played in 14 games. But in 14 games, Dalvin Cook had 250 carries. He ran for 1,135 yards and 13 touchdowns. And uh, the Vikings, they went 10-6. and six. They made the playoffs. Now, the Vikings had a slow start. You know, their quarterback, Kirk Cousins, I think his lowest moment of the year was uh, week two against the Green Bay Packers. Kirk Cousins had... Uh, you know, they lost 21-16. to 16. He had three turnovers in the game week two. And he had a costly interception on the goal line at the end of the game against the Packers. And then as a team, the Vikings' worst performance of the year, I think, I don't know if it's the worst moment. It was definitely optically the worst moment of the year was uh, they lost to the Bears 16-6. to six. And, you know, I, Chase Daniel was the backup quarterback for the Bears. He was playing. I actually believe that Chase Daniel was better than the Bears' starting quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky. But optically, from the way it looked, it, you saw the Vikings, and they lost Week 4 to the Bears to a backup quarterback, 16-6. to I mean, that's not good. Didn't look good at all. So uh, the Vikings had two really low moments at the beginning of the year, but they bounced back, man. They improved from there on. And uh, in October, the Vikings went 4-0. Their quarterback, Kirk Cousins, actually won the NFC Offensive Player of the Month. He had 10 touchdowns and only one interception. And uh, the Vikings finished the year 10-6. and six. They made the playoffs. The defense improved a lot from the previous year. And uh, the, the cool moment of the year, the, the high point, I guess, of the year for the Vikings was they surprised everybody. They went on the road to New Orleans in the playoffs, and they won a playoff game 26-20 to 20 in overtime over the New Orleans Saints. That was a highlight of their year, and I enjoyed it, man. I was just wrong. I, I very much was wrong about the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, the Vikings were better than I expected. Honestly, their division around them, the NFC North, uh, the Bears and the Lions took a step backward. They weren't as good. And so I'm happy for the Vikings, man. I love their quarterback, Kirk Cousins. Kirk, is uh, he seems like a great dude. I'm glad he finally won a playoff game. That was a big moment for him. I was really happy. And I was really happy for Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook had a great year. And I, I legitimately didn't know. I was like, is Dalvin Cook good or not? Well, he proved everybody. Whoa, uh, Dalvin Cook. Is definitely a good running back. We saw it last year. Is he healthy or not? I don't know. He only played in 14 games. He got hurt at the end of the year. Missed the final two games. Did come back for the playoff game. Um, I I don't know, man. I, I just, uh, we'll see what Dalvin Cook has in the future. I still am concerned about his injuries, but he definitely, he shut me up pretty quick last year. He had a great year. And uh, all in all, man, I, I'm happy with the Vikings. They surprised me. They were way better than I predicted. I was very wrong. And good for Minnesota. So the Bears. Um... I predicted the Bears to go 10 and 6 in 2019. I liked their roster. I was concerned about their new defensive coordinator. Uh they they lost uh they lost Vic Fangio, their former defensive coordinator to the Denver Broncos to be the head coach. 
But in the end, you know, the Bears kept their entire offensive line. They had some solid players all around. But uh, here's what I was really wrong about when it came to the Chicago Bears. Um, I Going into the year, I was really, really lukewarm about the Bears quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky. I was like, eh, you know, I, I think I said that he would be, I believed he would be a limiting factor was my, my phrasing. I was like, he, the, Mitchell Trubisky is going to be a limiting factor. And I figured the Bears would be okay until they played a team with an elite quarterback. And then uh, the Bears wouldn't be able to, you know, head to head. If the team was an elite quarterback against Mitchell Trubisky, the Bears were going to lose. But Mitchell Trubisky was not just a limiting factor last year. He was a big problem. The Bears ended up going 8-8. Eight and eight. And I did a film analysis about Mitchell Trubisky last year. The dude just struggled to make very basic reads. He had guys wide open and missed really easy throws. He didn't throw the ball sometimes. And uh, the Bears' backup quarterback, Chase Daniel, actually played a couple times last year. He was very average. But Chase Daniel being very average was still way better than Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, you know, the reason why is because he was just a lot more consistent. He threw the ball to guys who were open, took the easy plays. He just was way more consistent than Mitchell Trubisky was. And um, I have no doubt, I, I am certain that there was a lot of frustration last year in the Chicago Bears locker room. You know, the Seattle Dragons, a similar thing happened in the XL. The Seattle Dragons played a quarterback, Brandon Silvers, for the majority of the beginning of the year. And the Seattle Dragons locker room was furious. They were so, they're like, why are we playing Brandon Silvers? Because their backup quarterback, B.J. Daniels, was way better. And in fact, when B.J. Daniels finally did come into the, the game and play, he was great. He was way better. And the, they, they almost won a game. The locker room was not happy in Seattle. And I'm pretty sure the same thing happened in Chicago. They were not happy that Mitchell Trubisky was playing quarterback for their team. Because guys want to win. And Ryan Pace is the general manager of the Chicago Bears. He appears to just not be willing, at least for a long time, was not willing to admit he might have drafted the wrong guy, Mitchell Trubisky. Remember, the politics behind the scenes is that the Bears drafted Mitchell Trubisky number two overall in the NFL draft. And so he's gotten way more chances than I believe he should have. He's gotten a ton of patience. If Mitchell Trubisky was a fifth-round pick, he would have been benched hours ago. If he was... A picked in the seventh round or an undrafted free agent or a, even a fourth round pick. Maybe a, if he was a second round pick, right? They would have been like, it's not working, we're done. But because Mitchell Trubisky was drafted so high, they just keep giving the guy chance after chance after chance. And finally, thank you. If there's a God and he's real, then he really made this happen. Finally, the patience has worn thin in Chicago because the Bears have traded for quarterback Nick Foles from the Jacksonville Jaguars. And uh, Nick Foles is not an amazing quarterback. He's definitely better than Mitchell Trubisky. And if Mitchell Trubisky has any moments where he's not quite up to snuff next year, he will get benched because Nick Foles is there. He's ready. He's got a relationship with the head coach. Remember Matt Nagy, the head coach of the Bears, and Nick Foles have worked together before in Philadelphia. And then again later in Kansas City under Andy Reid. And uh, Nick Foles will be ready. For the moment, Mitchell Trubisky is not good enough. And I think the Bears are going to have a quarterback change very early next year. And I can't wait for that moment because Mitchell Trubisky for a long time has been holding them back. And the dude held back the Bears last year. He's re The reason why they went 8-8 eight and eight and underperformed is because Mitchell Trubisky was not a good enough quarterback and didn't make enough plays when it mattered most last year. He's their problem. And I think that problem is soon going to end.
in Chicago. I, I am excited for that day. Again, I don't, I don't hate Mitchell Trubisky, right? I, people think I root against people. I don't root against anybody. I'd love to see Mitchell Trubisky be phenomenal, but I just, I hate bad quarterback play. And watching the dude fail over and over and over again without consequences has driven me nuts. I just, I don't hate Trubisky the person, but Mitchell Trubisky the quarterback has not been good enough, and I'm ready for that guy to be out of town. He's just not good enough. And I'm not a Bears fan. I have no stake in that game. But I, I just, man, I don't like watching quarterbacks play badly and hurt their team. And that's exactly what Mitchell Trubisky's been doing. And his locker room, the people around him who are tired of losing have to be frustrated. They're ready to move on. And so I, I hope that Mitchell Trubisky gets benched next year because he's, uh, maybe he plays great and he proves everybody wrong. But in the last couple of years, he has repeatedly cost his team victories. And I'm ready to see him done in Chicago. I predicted the Lions to go 8-8 eight and eight in 2019. Uh, this team had a lot of positive momentum. I was so excited. Uh, they had year two of the new head coach, Matt Patricia. Had some solid names on defense. Quandre Diggs, Trey Flowers. Had a good tight end, new tight end, uh, TJ Hawkinson. And I really believed in their quarterback, Matthew Stafford. I thought he was going to surprise some people last year. And sadly, Matthew Stafford only played in uh, eight games. He got hurt. He hurt his back. And it's so sad that after Matthew Stafford got hurt, the Lions' progress just got totally halted. And uh, they had a solid start to the year. I remember people like sending around memes like, ooh, the Lions are undefeated. Ooh, that's all excited. You know, they were three weeks into the year, they were two, they were two, zero, and one. They had a tie and two wins. Technically, they were undefeated. Uh, and Matthew Stafford, you know, he was on pace for a 5,000 yard season. He had 19 touchdowns and five interceptions when he got hurt. And I just am so sad, man. It's such a shame. In the end, the Lions went. 3-12-1. They did not win a game after Matthew Stafford got hurt. You know, they, they were 3-4-1. Matthew Stafford got hurt. And, uh, you know, Matthew Stafford's injury just completely derailed their entire season. But they were making progress. I was like, come on, please. And it's such a shame to me that we did not get to see the whole season play out for the Detroit Lions. I'm excited to watch what they do next year with uh, Matthew Stafford. They've had some problems with... Uh, Matt Patricia and uh, Darius Slay had some conflict, but I, I don't know, man. Uh, Matthew, Matt Patricia, I hope he turns things around. I want to see the Lions win. I like their quarterback, Matthew Stafford. I think he's better than people appreciate or respect about him. And we'll see what happens, man. I don't know, but I want to watch what the Lions do next year in 2019 because it's sad. We lost a year of progress where we did not get to see it play out. What would have been with the Lions if Matthew Stafford hadn't gotten hurt and have been able to play the whole year last year. We might have seen something special. We might not have. But I really thought we were making progress with the Lions. And it's sad we didn't get to see it play out. All right, guys. That's the entire show I have. I want to end the show this way. Four years ago, my younger brother died. And I learned two really painful lessons from that experience. Number one, if you're struggling, please go get help. I'm encouraging you. Please do not suffer in silence. My brother told nobody he was having a hard time. I went home one day. He was dead on the floor. It's miserable and terrible. I encourage you. If you're struggling... Go get help. Tell somebody, a parent, a friend, somebody, an authority figure. Please go get help. Do not suffer in silence. Uh, a teacher, a counselor, somebody, go get help. And if you really have nobody to talk to, if you have nobody you can turn to for help, then call the Suicide Hotline. The Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. That is a Suicide Hotline. If you have nobody else to turn to, get help that way. The second lesson I learned is if you're struggling, you know, and not if you're sorry, just please, no matter who you are, make sure the people in your life know you care about them and you love them. Uh, I saw my brother multiple times a week. 
Uh, we played Halo together, and we talked about girls and movies and sports and video games, but we never had a deeper conversation. I regret not telling my brother I loved him more. And I regret not telling my brother, hey, if you're struggling, you can talk to me. I encourage you. Make sure the people in your life know how much you love them and make sure they know that they can turn to you if they're having a hard time and need help. If you're struggling, go get help and make sure the people in your life know how much they mean to you. I want to end the show this way. I want to read a Jim Carrey quote. The Jim Carrey quote says this. He says, I believe depression is legitimate, but I also believe that if you don't exercise, eat nutritious food, get sunlight, get enough sleep, consume positive material, and surround yourself with support, then you aren't giving yourself a fighting chance. This week I've gone on multiple walks with my girlfriend. I'm trying to eat dinner. I know like the, it's, things are tough right now. There's, uh, people are all quarantined and t- stuck inside, and I've been getting messages from people saying, you know, I, I'm feeling depressed. I'm really having a hard time being stuck at home. I get it. But do things that feed your soul. Start. You can work out in your living room. I do crunches. I do a whole, literally just Google, um, what are they, plyometric workouts. You can work out in your living room. You can go for walks. You can play video games. You can watch TV. Do things that make you, you know, full of life. And uh, please feed your soul. I'm begging you. Um, it's just, uh, you're not giving yourself, like Jim Carrey says, if you don't do those things, you're not giving yourself a fighting chance. I encourage you, please do what it takes to enjoy your life. If you're struggling, Go get help and uh, make sure the people in your life know how much you love them. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much. I have no idea when we're recording the next episode of Strong Opinion Sports, um, but it will come soon. I promise. Just be patient. Hope you have a great day. Thank you for listening. It's been a really long episode. I appreciate you guys. Have a great day. Bam, bam, bam. We are done.